Thank you very much, and hello everyone. This is Preacher Bill Gilliland at First Christian Church at the corner of Monroe and Fudge Streets in Covington, and it's our joy and delight to be able to come to you through this uh, radio uh, means and preach and teach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, we are uh, now meeting in our Family Life Center at 1030 on Sunday morning for a, a worship gathering. And we are live streaming that service uh, through Facebook. And uh, we're just happy to have uh, a whole lot of people that listen in by uh, radio, Q101.9, uh, the river. And uh, we have, uh, over the last four weeks, been dealing with a very timely subject, I believe, as we look into 2 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, the second letter, how to be confident in uncertain times. Because we are living in uncertain times, uh, we continue to tread through the waters of the COVID-19 pandemic. So I think this theme is very appropriate because in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul just sort of bears his, uh, his soul, his life, he talks about his own dangers and insecurities and unfortunate circumstances and persecution uh, as a result of his faith in Jesus. But he speaks with confidence. He speaks with boldness. He speaks with an attitude that God is in control, and we need to have that same attitude. So we've dealt with uh, certain themes uh, throughout the book in chapter 1, Down But Not Out. And then we looked at the idea that we need to be humble and trust in the Lord and not in ourselves from chapter 3. Uh, we noticed the idea in the first part of chapter 4 that we need to be authentic and allow Christ's light to shine through us. And last Sunday we considered the idea that we need to be persistent in the Christian life. We need to see our obstacles as, as opportunities from the last part of chapter 4. Now today we're going to go to chapter 5, 2 Corinthians 5. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open uh, them to uh, the 5th chapter of 2 Corinthians, and we're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 10. And the theme uh, that Paul uses here is, Be certain the best is yet to come. Be certain the best is yet to come. Uh, Warren Greeley tells the story in Reader's Digest that some of his co-workers and him were working uh, on a construction project on a college campus, and they undercovered an underground power line directly in their path. So Warren said, I suspected that it was only an abandoned line, but to be safe, I called the maintenance department and asked for someone to identify it. Sometime later, he said, an electrician arrived, looked at the cable, and assured us that it was dead. Just cut it out of the way, he said. Are you sure there's no danger, I asked. He replied, I'm sure. So I handed him the wire cutters and asked, well, then will you cut it out for us? The construction worker, the electrician, hesitated for a moment, and with a slight smile, he said, well... I'm not that sure. You know, as Christians, dear friends, we need to be sure. We need to be certain. How certain are you that you will go to heaven when you die? 
Is that a hope that you just relate in order to comfort others, or are you willing to stake your life on it? It's a critical question because in order to be reasonably confident in this present life that we have, we need to be very uh, realistic and have hope for the future. You remember Paul said in the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. And I would agree totally with Peter in his first epistle, his first letter that he wrote in chapter 1, where he said, we have a living hope through Christ's resurrection. We have a living hope into a new birth and to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's a hope that can never perish, fade, or spoil. So the Christian belief in heaven is not just a, a nice thought to comfort us in the final stages of a terminal illness. Uh, it's an e essential living hope. And that assurance that we are going to anchor one day in a safe, beautiful, exciting harbor makes every day more meaningful. That's really why Jesus said in John chapter 10, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. So if you're in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, chapter 5, uh, let's take a look at some very important things here, shall we? And, and I guess our theme verse today would be verse 7, where Paul says, we live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith, not by sight. And in this passage, uh, the Apostle Paul gives three phrases that should enhance our confidence for living in these perilous and uncertain times. The first phrase is, we know. We know. We know that when this life is over, there is a better life waiting for us. Let's read the first four verses of 2 Corinthians 5. And many of you know this passage and, and lean on it. Paul says, we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we're clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, you might remember that Paul uh, was a tent maker by trade. So he speaks very confidently here and compares our bodies, these bodies we live in, to tents portable, temporary. If you've ever camped out, uh, you know that a tent is a temporary dwelling. You might enjoy camping out on occasion for a few days, but you don't plan to live in that tent permanently. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't have the amenities of, of your house. So, you know, we ask the question, uh, how can we be sure? How can we be sure that the best is yet to be? Uh, the hope of the Christian, of course, is not based on speculation of people. It's based on the demonstration of God. And uh, when Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about the dead being raised, and he said the assurance that the dead are going to be raised is because Christ raised from the dead. Didn't Jesus himself say to his disciples, because I live, you shall live also? 
That's why we love that passage in John chapter 14 where Jesus said to his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. So that, that's wonderful words from Jesus that we can count on. You know, there's some very wonderful contrast brought out here. This life is earthly. The next life is heavenly. In this life, we're in a tent. In the next life, an eternal building. In this life, it's mortal, bent on destruction, but the next life is eternal and indestructible. This life may be full of burdens, but the next life is full of glory. I'd like to just share with you the first two verses of this fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians from the paraphrased version, Peterson's message. He says, We know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, they will be replaced by resurrection bodies in heaven, God-made, not hand-made, and will never have to relocate our tents again. Sometimes we can hardly wait to move, and we crowd in frustration. Compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack, and we're tired of it. It's true. And the Apostle Paul emphasizes this idea when he says, uh, we know, we don't hope, we don't guess. We know that when this earthly tent is torn down, we have a building from God. Do you know that, dear friend? All right, the next phrase we want to look at is uh, we're, we're guaranteed. We're guaranteed what is to come by the deposit of the Holy Spirit that the Lord has given to us when we became Christians. In verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Now, this Greek word translated deposit means uh, that which is pledged, that which has security. Uh, it can also have the idea of an engagement ring. And remember, uh, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is referred to as his bride. And uh, when we became Christians, the Lord placed his Holy Spirit within our lives as a deposit of what was to come, as to a guarantee. You know, you want to buy a car, uh, you find the one you want, you put a deposit down on it, and nobody can take that car from you. Uh, the same thing with a house. Uh, we have a deposit. We have a reservation. You know, when you plan a vacation or a special trip, you make a reservation, and, and hopefully no one can, uh, can break that reservation. Remember the words in, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11 where Paul says, and if the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So this resurrected life is guaranteed through the Holy Spirit that lives in the life of every Christian. Well, someone might ask, how do you know if the Holy Spirit is living in you? 
A preacher by the name of Bob Russell has suggested three questions that we need to ask ourselves to see if the Holy Spirit is living in us. Number one, have you trusted Christ and obeyed his commands? Because, you see, uh, the, the commands of Christ, the Holy Scriptures, were inspired and given to us through the instrument of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we are promised to have that gift when we, when we trust Christ as our Lord. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, after that first gospel sermon was preached, the church is coming into being, and uh, the people listen to what Peter and the apostles are saying, and they, they're cut to the heart because they realize that they, they crucified their own Messiah. And, and they ask, what should we do? And in Acts 2 and verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, and when we obey the commands of Christ, we turn from our wicked, sinful lives and say, I don't want to live there anymore. And we die to sin. We're, we're buried with Christ in baptism. We're raised to walk in a newness of life. And the Lord places his Holy Spirit, the gift of his Spirit within us. The second question we need to ask is, is the fruit of the Spirit growing in your life? Because over in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul identifies what should be produced in the Christian life, like, like fruit. And he says in verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, these are the things that are going to be a result of a Christian living the life because of the Spirit of Jesus that lives in him or her. Remember, Jesus said, by their fruit you will know them. Uh, you're going to know people by the fruits that they bear. And that's interesting because previous to the fruit of the Spirit, here in Galatians 5, Paul gives the acts or the fruit of the flesh. And, uh, of course, that's just the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit, of course. But... Uh, we need to ask ourselves, do I have the fruit of the Spirit being produced in my life or the acts of the flesh, which he says is immorality and impurity and debauchery and idolatry and witchcraft, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy? Um, it's a long list of worldly, fleshly fruit that's being produced. Which are you producing? If, if you're not producing the fruit of the Spirit, then you need to go back and check and make sure you have the Spirit of God in you. And then the third question Russell says we need to ask is, am I sensitive to spiritual leadings? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, uh, we've not received the spirit of the world. We've received the spirit who is from God that we may understand what God has freely given us. And then in verse 14 of, of 1 Corinthians 12, he says, the man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. And he can't understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So we ask ourselves, am I more sensitive to worldly things or to spiritual things. 
when you think about it, if a person never wants to go to church and be around other Christians, has no desire to learn God's word and apply it to his life, if he or she always gets bored with preaching and has no desire to sing and praise God, no hunger for prayer, no compassion or concern for the lost, if those things are present in one's life, then it's evidence that the Holy Spirit just doesn't dwell there. I like the message version of Romans 8, verses 16 and 17, where Peterson's message paraphrases it this way. The Spirit of God whets our appetite. By giving us a taste of what's ahead, he puts a little of heaven in our hearts so that we never settle for less. Oh, I hope that, I hope that the Lord has wet your appetite by putting his Spirit in your life and has given you a taste of what's ahead. All right, we come down to the third idea that Paul includes here. Uh, he says, you know, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt and we're guaranteed because we have the Spirit within us. And then he says we're confident. Uh, we are confident that when we die, we go immediately into God's presence. Take a look at verses 6 and 8 of 2 Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. And then in verse 8, he says, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So uh, he, he talks about the fact that uh, in this passage, he talks about the fact that uh, while we're in this body, we groan and, and we long for the heavenly. You see, there's a gradual deterioration of the body. Uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 4.16, we noticed last week where Paul said, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And it's true. You know, outwardly we are just wasting away. So we need to be concerned about this inward life, this spiritual life. When John Quincy Adams turned 80, he was hobbling down a Boston street, leaning heavily on his cane. A friend asked him how he was doing, and he smiled and said, Fine, sir, fine, but this old tenement that John Quincy lives in is not so good. The underpinning is, a, is about to fall away, the thatch is all gone off his roof, and the windows are so dim, John Quincy can hardly see out of them anymore. As a matter of fact, it wouldn't surprise me if before the winter's over, he had to move out. But as for John Quincy Adams, he never was better, never was better. Are you being renewed every day, dear friend? Of course, there comes a time that the spirit departs uh, from the body. In fact, in verse 8, we read the words where Paul said, I would prefer to be away from the body and to be present with the Lord. The spirit leaves the body. Remember, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. When they were stoning Stephen to death, he cried out and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The spirit leaves the body. And is immediately at present with the, with the Lord. I love the words there in verse 8, at home with the Lord. 
This Greek word that's translated home means to be with one's people. <laughs> to be with one's people. It's not the house that's so important, it's the home. It's who we're with and in fellowship with the Lord. There is a spirit inside each of us that continues to be with us no matter what. That's why Paul wrote in Philippians 1.21, said, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then in verse 23, he said, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And, of course, we know that we're going to receive a glorified, resurrected body at his coming. And that's what, uh, that's what Paul meant in, in verses 2 through 4, if you want to back up there a little bit. In 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 2, he said, Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we're clothed, we'll not be found naked. For while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we don't wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up with life. Of course, in 1 Corinthians 15, in the resurrection chapter, the Apostle Paul talked about that. He said, this perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and this mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. And uh, when the Apostle Paul talked about Jesus' second coming in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, he, he talked about the idea that uh, uh, those who had fallen asleep uh, would, would rise first, uh, when Jesus comes, the trumpet, he says, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then he said, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Do you have that confidence, dear friend? The Apostle Paul talks about three ideas here. We know, we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, we have a building from God. Do you have that guarantee? The Holy Spirit, God's deposit in your life, guaranteeing what's to come? And then are you confident? Are you confident that when you leave this body that you will go right into the presence of the Lord Christian church minister uh, named Glenn Wheeler, who is no longer with us, he's gone on to glory, uh, loved to tell the story about a Christian lady in his church um, who was a great cook. Everybody loved her food, especially her desserts. And she would have her family and sometimes some friends over for dinner after church every Sunday. And she would serve a fantastic meal. And after the first courses were served, she would say, as she picked up the plates, now keep your forks. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And everybody knew what she meant because they knew about her desserts. And uh, this lady, according to Glenn Wheeler's story, this lady contracted cancer and didn't have long to live. And she called Glenn and she, she wanted to plan her service and she said, now, Glenn, on the night of my visitation, when the people walk by, I want you to put this fork in my hand. Will you do that? 
And Glenn said, well, yes, I'll do that, but why do you want me to do that? And she said, I want everybody there to know that the best is yet to come. I hope, dear friend, that you can say that. Is Jesus your Savior and your Lord? Have you given your life to him? Do you enjoy and love living the Christian life? Are you bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Are you living with the idea that it's far better to go and live with the Lord? These are some things to think about and pray about. Give your whole life to Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for these moments that we can look into your holy scriptures. How marvelous, marvelous it is to read these words from the Apostle Paul about how we can be confident, how we are guaranteed when we live for Jesus that he's going to give us the very best. Bless each person listening this morning. May we be challenged, convicted. May we, may we have peace about the future. And I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I was a wandering soul Traveling a well-worn road A sinner so far from home With no second chance in sight Till I heard you Face to face.
Still in. 